So we recently concluded our study in Esther on Sunday night, and um, I'm thinking about the, the book of Esther, kind of reviewing it in my mind. Um, and I want to talk a little bit, I'm, I'm, well, you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 37. We're going to look at that. Um, and what, what I'm thinking is, is there's no mention of, of the name of God in Esther, and there's no mention of prayer in Esther. There's a mention of fasting but specifically not prayer uh, mentioned. It's, it's hard for me to imagine that God's people would meet um, and have a crisis and uh, fast about something and be resolved to do something or seek uh, guidance without actually praying. So I think prayer is, is kind of intentionally left out because uh, we can see that that's, that's how the nation felt. They felt like... Um, they felt like they were without God in essence. But I don't think they acted like that. And I think the, the faithful would have prayed. I wonder what their prayer would have sounded like. I think it would have been like many of the prayers reflected in Psalms. Lord, save us. Lord, come to our rescue. Lord, we are in desperate need. Uh, come help us. Another prayer uh, we find in Psalm 37, it, what, I, what I call an attitude for prayer is let's not be discouraged when we see um, the, the, the righteous going through hard times and the wicked um, being blessed, right? So he starts, fret not thyself, he says in, I'm using old King James Version, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So he seeks to encourage God's people by saying, when you look out in the world, and you see things seeming to go on as usual, not even not just going on, but seeming to, to go well and prospering, um, doing, doing good, continuing, the cycle just continues. You wonder, where is God? Uh, why isn't God acting? But he says, fret not yourself. Now, it reminds me also of the prayer in Revelation. Several times it's mentioned. Once, I think in chapter 5, when it talks about... Um, the, the elders bringing praise to God and they hold in, in, their, in these bottles, in these containers, the prayers of the saints. And at one point they release those prayers and it's, it's kind of revealed what they're praying for. And it's, it's, it's almost like an imprecatory prayer. Lord, get them. Lord, how long do we have to suffer? When are you going to take vengeance on those who, who, uh, uh, who killed us? And, and in fact, um, the angel asked John, do you know who, who's these, who these are? Um, at another point in, in Revelation, he asks, do you know who these are? These are ones who have come through tribulation. These are ones who have been killed, who have been slaughtered for their faith. And so their prayer is represented in, in Revelation as the Lord, when are you going to rescue us or when are you going to stand up for our cause or get vengeance on those who, who hurt and wronged us? And so Psalm 37 seems to, to echo that kind of uh, sentiment. And I think we can, we can find encouragement in that. In other words, God knew that that time would come. He knew that discouragement uh, would come to his people um, and that, that they would long to see him act in a visible way and, and thinking that it's been too long where God has not acted so for us to see it. Um, I know here at Sweet Communion, you can't help but to think, Lord, why, why aren't you acting visibly so that we can see it. Why don't you do this or do that? 
or do this. And, and yet God's plan is continuing. God is faithful. God is working. He wants to encourage his people to, to continue, um, to not give up. So I want to look at verses 10 through 17 for a moment. And we see the state of the wicked. In verse 10, he says, In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Psalm 37, verse, uh, verse 10. In just a little while. That term, in just a little while, um, has to be interpreted, doesn't it? <laughs> it doesn't seem like a little while to us or to God's people. But it says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. I'm thinking about Esther and how that plays out in the life of, of Mordecai. It, it seems that Haman is in charge, and he has had the king sign the edict to destroy all the Jews. And God is saying, just hold on, uh, Mordecai. I'm, I'm going to step in here. I'm going to work here. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Now, we look at the whole picture and say, yeah, that's exactly what happened to Haman. But uh, put yourself for a moment in Mordecai's shoes saying, I'm in big trouble because I, I honor God and I won't bow down to this wicked man just because he demands that. Um, and, and now my whole race is being threatened. God, when are you going to act? God says, just a little while. Just a little while and the wicked will be no more. Um, verse 11 <clears throat> The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I look at the end of the book of Esther, and I see chapter 10, how Mordecai rules and leads his people in peace. But there's a lot of trouble that came before that chapter, and uh, we must endure that. Verse 13, excuse me, verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The wicked plot against the righteous. Of course, we see that in Haman. Plotting against righteous Mordecai. And, and I mentioned this on Sunday. It's, it's almost God laughing when the ceremony that the Jews celebrate is named Purim. It's like, by chance, throw your dice. See what happens. And he's saying, by chance, the dice was thrown or the, 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 the lot was cast, and they came up with a date. But God flipped that whole date thing around on them. And so God is, is, is working. It says, um, but the wicked plot, we see that in, 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 the, in the story of Esther. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. Verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. And we see that carried out in the life of Mordecai and in, the, in that story. <clears throat> The wicked, it says, will perish. Verse 20 brings that out. Verse 38 brings that out again. It says, the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glories of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. We mentioned about that last week. 
uh, in what way is grass like uh, a, a fitting picture for the wicked because it can look beautiful, it can look like it's flourishing, and then soon after um, it can be trodden down and, uh, and, and come to an end and grow no more. Uh, drought can come and, and snuff it out. So uh, the wicked are, are like that. <coughs> Verse 38, he mentions, it says, But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. We, we have to meditate on these things. We have to take this in because in our lifetime, we don't see that. And that, that going back to that verse says, in a little while, that little while can be lifetime for us or even several lifetimes that we don't see um, the justice that God is going to... Um, Put together at the end, but we need to be encouraged, and it's the Word of God that brings that encouragement to us to keep us uh, persevering, to keep us going, to keep us strong, to keep us believing in God, even though what we see um, isn't pleasant, what we see isn't encouraging, but we know what God says in His Word, and that's what we hang on to, and that's what we rejoice in. Um, next week we'll get to verses 18 on and talks about um, the righteous and how they live as a result of their dependence on God, as a result of their faith, um, how they act, how they live, the mindset that they have, um, and how they, how they cling to God uh, in faith. And that's, that's exactly what, uh, what we are to do. So let's Let's continue to trust in God. Let's continue to read in his word and find our encouragement in him and uh, know that he, he knows what he's doing and he's going to act in his own time. For our meditation, we'll stay in the prophets in the book of Amos. We'll all read together again today. Amos 4 6 through 13. And I will read. first part as you know what um, this is what we'll do you guys will read the first part and when it says yet you did not return to me declares the Lord I'll read that part and I'll read verse 12 and 13 okay so everybody will read the parts for example We'll practice on verse 6. You guys will all read together. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. And then I will read, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. And then I'll read verse 12 and 13. You guys ready? All right. So let's begin together. I gave you. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord.
yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and trails in the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. That's Amos 4. What happens in Amos 4? What's the pattern that we see here? Let's talk about the various judgments that they face. What's the first judgment that they have? Verse 6 starvation. Alright, what starts at verse 7? Drought. Verse 9. Yeah, I would say it seems like these things are growing from each other, right? But he went from starvation to drought, and now all of a sudden there's some kind of attack on all the plant life, right? There's blight and mildew, and then all the ant plants die. And then locusts come out, right? So when you think the disease is bad enough, here comes a locust. And then what happens? Verse 10, who said that? Or war, right? And then in verse 11, what happens there? Miraculous type of destruction, right? What happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? God rained fire. Who could, what explanation can that be other than God, right? So let's think about this. Have we seen starvation before in our world? All right. So we've seen that before. We've seen droughts. We've seen disease. We've seen wars. We ain't really seen Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So what, what is the point of this passage? too late but there's a, I think there's a maybe even a bigger point than that what um, why don't the people turn
All right, that's true. So why do they not see it? Are you really saying that they don't know that their own children are starving and there's drought and that there's a war, that there's pestilence? Don't they see those things? That could be a way of thinking of it, but I think maybe we're being a little bit too specific. What does the Bible says he who doesn't believe in a God is what? A fool, right? What does sin do, do to the sinner? It makes them stupid, right? Sin makes us stupid. The best way of thinking about it is the guy who wants a girl right before bar time and he's already drunk, right? That's, that's the sinner. In the middle of the lust of their sin, they, ex, they appear extremely stupid, right? It doesn't matter how intelligent they might be. They could be a doctor, right? They could be a genius in any other area of life. But in a time when they're in the middle of pursuing their sin, they are oblivious to all the other signs, right? They become foolish, right? Sin makes us foolish. Why couldn't they see these things? Because they was foolish, right? It's pretty obvious. First, God tried to show them a sign. I think God was trying to be subtle with them. Why do you try to be subtle with a person? Because you try not to embarrass them, right? Right? If you whisper to me and I just give you a mint, I'm trying to not say your breath stank. Right? I'm trying to be subtle with you, right? Subtlety is meant to be out of respect. Why is God subtle? Because he's trying to be gentle with his people. But he starts to be less and less subtle. Why? Because they're not getting it. Right? And to the point where he literally has to rain down fire from heaven. But then they still don't get it. Right? So there's a lot of reasons why they don't get it. But the general thing is that when we sin, we get caught into this loop of foolishness where we can't see the obvious things of God. I'll put it to you this way. Daniel came to the king. And God literally wrote a judgment on the wall. And Daniel said, listen, king, you, I mean, you've got, got to repent. Even though God wrote the warning on the wall, you know that that king didn't repent? Did you know that? I believe this. If God said, I'm coming tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and he put that on the news, and it was a text to everybody's phone, and it said, from God. And you all knew it had to be from God because we don't have any friends called God in our phone, right? So literally, it would say God, and, like, and I'm not kidding, this is me. And like you touched it and it glowed, you know? And he said, I am giving a message to you. I'm coming tomorrow at 7 in the morning, central time. Everybody who has not repented will be judged. Everybody who is not sinning right now will still be sinning. And they will be surprised when they got caught in the judgment of God. It's the same like Noah. How many years did Noah preach? We really don't know, but we know it was hundreds of years. But when people saw the rain come down, they were surprised. And when the Lord comes back with an army of us behind him and angels inside him, and he's on the white horse, and he descends on Jerusalem just like he ascended, people are going to be surprised, even though it's written in his word. Wicked people are always surprised by the judgment, even if what they were doing would naturally lead to their judgment. My brother tells me people who steal cars and they be sad when they get crash into a car. I didn't think I would, my friend would die. You ran a red light. 
What did you think would happen? But sin makes us stupid. He says in verse 12, since you didn't learn a lesson, you have to face death, right? Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. And he starts to describe who he is so that we would know that the threat is real, right? Now, what's going to happen when we meet our God? We all will have to explain our deeds. Every one of us. Even us good people will still have to explain what we did. We will be held accountable before God. I don't know how that's going to be, and that makes me even nervous to talk about a little bit. But Peter said this, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what is the end of the ungodly? So we all have to live as ones who must give account to God, right? We're not living a freestyle life. We as Christians sometimes can get a little bit too much into thinking we're a volunteer organization. Well, as long as people are trying, that's good. I don't believe in that. I believe that God pays way better than any job can ever do. And so he's holding us accountable for everything that he gives us, every investment that he makes. And we will have to give an account. So let's live like those who will have to give an account. Amen. Because he said in his word, I'm not an easy master. <laughs> Remember when the person came to him? He said, I knew he was a harsh master. He said, if you knew he was a harsh master, how come you didn't invest? So let's make sure we invest in the kingdom. Amen. How are we doing tonight? How we doing tonight? Alright. Y'all sleeping here or something? <laughs> um, so, uh, Sunday I talked about how um, we're trying to make up our shortfall budget. So all I want to pray about tonight is just um, the budget. That we can come together, that we people can give abundantly and more than they have been given in order to make up for that shortfall that, so that we can go into the next quarter um, at a, obviously zero deficit um, and then I'll just have like two, two people whoever wants to pray pray and I'll close this up so we just lift up our finances um, we lift up the deficit that we have um, we know that you are a God that can provide and you can provide and help us meet that need we ask that you just stir up your people stir up the people that know that we are short and that um, giving a little extra is all that's needed um, to cover that shortfall. We ask that you just bless this budget. Um, just remind your people that um, this is what we've agreed upon um, as far as our budget and giving um, in order to continue to fund this church and its ministries. We ask that you just um, continue to um, even bless each and individual person that's already giving, that they can give more abundantly. Um, you know who those people are and that those who aren't, Lord, that you just, um, that aren't giving, Lord, that you just remind them that you are the one that provides their finances and this is us giving back as you've commanded um, to you, um, knowing that and putting their faith in you that you will provide for them. In your name we pray.